As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you give all that we got. Coming to the Texas Motorplex, March 11th through the 15th, CP Promotions brings the Pro 1 Texas Two-Step $50,000 race, presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com. Tons of racing for both box and no-box racers for an incredible value. Stay tuned for more details about the Pro 1 Texas Two-Step 50K. As we get closer to racing this season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a little tune-up or perhaps a replacement. Keep BTE in mind. That's Bill Taylor Enterprises. For all your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, BTE does it all. Check them out at BTE Racing or find them on Facebook. The guys at the Great American Guaranteed Million have some updates and announcements. They are down to only 67 entries in the Guaranteed Million, and those spots continue to sell daily. There will also be seven gamblers races scheduled all across the country, so keep a lookout for those on the Great American Facebook page. It could be a chance into the big event for a very small investment. Mickey Thompson is on board as the title sponsor of the Great 48 Bottom Bulb portion of the main event. This landmark event will feature the Scoggin Dickey Performance Center Factory Stock Shootout presented by Sam Tech. This will be a must-watch portion of the event. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome or welcome back to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and Jim Rod Cap, or Jim Rod Cap, or Jim Rod Cap. Today's discussion is the extension of a quest that Jared and I have been on uh, for the entire offseason, and that is to catch up 
with each of the 2019 world champions, both from the NHRA Lucas Oil Series, the NHRA Summit ET Series, and the IHRA Summit Sportsman Series. Uh, we've been working our way through that list, and today's discussion is an extension of that. We'll be joined here momentarily by reigning NHRA Super Pro Summit ET World Champion, Mikey Sturgill. Now, Mikey and I go back a long way. He's been a, a part of ThisIsBracketRacing.com for a, a long time, member of This Is Bracket Racing Elite for several years. So I've got a little bit of insight and a little bit of background to his story, but his story is phenomenal. I mean, from growing up at the racetrack to kind of working his way up through the ranks to just becoming a dominant force in top ball bracket racing, initially at, at a local level and then a regional level. And now obviously as a, as a national champion, um, it's one of those overnight successes, you know, two decades in the making that you just love to be able to shine a spotlight on. And Mikey's victory, um, his, his signature victory to this point is obviously this world championship run in Pomona, but it came on the heels of getting the opportunity to represent division three as a champion at Pomona a year prior. That one didn't work out as well. So he actually got to uh, to represent Division Three in that eight-car runoff for a second consecutive season, this time making the most of it. And this comes on the heels of a two-year run that is essentially as dominating as one can be in top ball bracket competition in this day and age. Uh, in 2018, uh, Mikey shares in this interview, he won um, eight events on the season, won his track championship by 18 plus rounds, then went to the ET finals and ran the table. It was one of just a handful in, in history that have ever done that, won the race of champions and the main event in the same weekend. That earned him that trip to Pomona in 2018, where he has a heartbreaking loss in round one, 2,200 miles from home. Fast forward to 2019 and he essentially does it all again. He wins his track championship yet again. Um, wins the race of champions at the Division Three T finals to earn yet another berth at Pomona. And this time, uh, he's able to capitalize on it. Everything falls into place, and he is your NHRA world champion. So it's a pretty just incredible story on the surface, and it's much better to hear him tell it. And what struck me about this interview and this discussion in hindsight is I think you can see or, or here, I guess, in this case, what makes Mikey so great behind the wheel? Like it comes through in his thought process. It's a glimpse into how he operates and how he thinks because as you'll go through this, this discussion and his responses to the questions that we pose, it's so thoughtful. It's so measured. It's so articulate that it just becomes crystal clear. Like this is the way that Mikey approaches life. This is the way that Mikey does racing. Very thoughtful, very articulate, very regimented thought out. Like there is a, there is a rhyme behind every reason or a reason behind every rhyme. 
And uh, I just, I, my takeaway from this conversation was it's, it's just fascinating to get a glimpse at how someone who is capable of performing at this level on such a consistent basis goes about performing at such a consistent level on such a consistent basis. It's a glimpse into how he organizes his mind and his framework for competition. And I thought it was uh, incredible. So I hope that you feel the same. Without further ado, today's conversation with Mikey Sturgill. Joining us now on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, your reigning NHRA Summit ET Series Super Pro World Champion, Mr. Mikey Sturgill. Mikey, what's up, man? Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Luke. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. How, um, how does that introduction sound? Like, I would imagine to some extent that's still sinking in. Super Pro World Champion. It's, there's, uh, like, little things that people say or conversation pieces that it, like, reminds me of that day of like how cool of a day and how awesome of a day it was um and it it brings it all right back to the top no matter what else is going on in life you know it, it puts it right back front and center like i did that one of those days i'm sure you will never forget i would imagine i would bring us up to speed just a little bit because I don't know necessarily the whole story. I am under the impression that you were more or less born and raised at the drag strip. Um, tell me like your earliest memories of our sport and maybe your introduction to it. Um, so going back to it, my family um, started racing back in the 70s. Uh, my grandpa raised super stock. Um, back then, and my uh, uncle Dick, my grandpa's brother, had a B-gas front-engine dragster. Um, grandpa had a couple super stock records. Um, Dad bought his first race car in the mid-'80s. Um, it was a 67 Camaro. It was actually one of Grandpa's old super stock cars. He would tracked it down and went and bought it. Um, and then I started in juniors when I was seven and a half, started making time runs. Um, so that would have been 98. Yeah, 98. Um, so I've been around it basically since I was born. And if I'm not mistaken, mom went into labor on a Saturday night in which my dad's partner at the time, Ed Byer, uh, either won or runner up that night. Um, and ever since then, I've basically been at the racetrack every every weekend that, that there's something to go do, like I'm at the racetrack somewhere. What was the, the home track growing up? Kilcare. Always been Kilcare, okay. Yeah, um, so I grew up, it's probably six miles to Kilcare from my parents' house. Um, so you don't, you don't spend a whole lot of gas money getting getting there. Um, I think I fill up the motorhome twice a year if I just go to Kilcare and back, you know, plus going other little places here and there. But it's not – it's right there. 
take me back through the the junior dragster experience i mean uh, as a as a kid growing up watching your father like i would assume that you had a little bit of a leg up and always knew that that was something that you wanted to do and and jumped in with both feet was there immediate success there or did it take some time so back in the in those days it wasn't like it was today where the you know the eight-year-olds race with the eight nine-year-olds they didn't have age groups so i was even though i knew what was going on i was still you know the eight-year-old racing the 14 15 16 17 year old kids um and dad bought my first starter car and it was airplane front tires you know the rear end as wide as a dragster today um just to kind of see if it was something that i was going to stick with because um, at that time like I, I did play sports um so he wasn't sure which route i was truly gonna go and uh i got i uh there was a couple weeks in a row where i had some kids doubled up some of the older kids doubled up up front and the car didn't repeat or or whatnot and dad finally had enough of that where the car wasn't going to be the issue anymore. Um, so that's when the junior um, program started going. And I did really well um, locally. The last year I was in juniors, I think I was in 16 finals. Wow. Um, we were racing two days a week, you know, Saturday, Sunday. And we were just having a good time. Specifically, maybe some of the older drivers, but just junior dragster in general. I, I think of some of the older drivers that may have, you know, beat up on you a little bit as you started out. Like, are those, are any of those same people uh, that you're racing with today, or maybe that we would know, you know, nationally? Um, there's a few of them. Um, Matt Antrobius runs very um, competitive and stock eliminator. Um, Stephanie Shelton, Michael Shelton's wife, um, J.R. Lockhart, he's a local to kill care, um, but he does go to some big money stuff as well. Um, so there's still some of them that are around in the big cars. You, uh, you mentioned the last year that you ran Junior Dragster. When did that transition into, into full-size competition take place for you? Um, my last year in a junior was... I was 15. Um, so we had that year and then we had tore the car apart, had the motor freshened, um, did all of that. And I was always like a smaller kid growing up. I didn't hit my growth spurt until like sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, and it went from being, you know, five foot two to six foot in a matter of like seven or eight months. And, and junior didn't winter, hold you anymore, huh? <laughs> I could not fit in it, and mom was mom was crying and trying to figure out what we were going to do because we only had one big car at that point in time. Um, so they gave me a choice that we could go get another junior or we would start transitioning into a big car. So I picked the big car. And how long did that transition take, and what was your first ride? Uh. It took longer than expected. Um, Dad ended up hurting the motor and the dragster. 
Um, so I ran a year of high school and sportsman class in my street car. Uh-huh. Um, I'm pretty sure I won the high school track championship that year. And then um, I finished in the top 10 in sportsmen. I mean, we're talking, it was like in a purple 1996 Chevy Beretta. Nice. So, I mean, it was, it was my first car, nothing fancy, but it did all right. And then uh, dad got the motor back together for the dragster. It was a 04 Miller uh, slip joint car that he had built brand new. Um, had a 555 in it, just real mild go 490s 50s and was that like a, a real quick transition in terms of he just turned the keys over to you or did you both race for a little while or how did you kind of get get introduced to it uh there was like he would race some weekends and i would race some um i had some friends that put me in some no box cars when he would uh when he, he would drive um, but it took about probably about two years and uh, he ended up having neck surgery and driving the dragster would um, unsettle his neck, actually basically make him like sick to his stomach. It hurt so bad. Um, so I was racing sportsman in a buddy's Mustang, go like 1260s. I'm at the fence watching first round of Super Pro and haven't seen dad come up and mom rides up on the four-wheeler and tells me that, you know, it's his neck hurts, it's bothering him. And I went back there and talked to him. He said, get in it and go, and I don't want anything to do with it. Since then, uh, I've mostly always been in the dragster. And your dad's still racing, right? Just in the door car? Yep. And then I think 2012, he bought the 67 back half Camaro. Um, just got a little 505 in it, aluminum heads, nothing too fancy, but it's perfectly capable. Sure. And I know just from following you uh, over the years, you've had a ton of success locally, regionally, and then really within the last, what is it fair to say, like, like two or three years, you've kind of made your mark on a, on a, on a national level, right? Yep. Talk a little bit about those transitionary years or those formative years, so to speak, kind of cutting your teeth. Um, and I know you still do a lot of local bracket racing with tremendous success, but were there like a number of championship seasons locally or was it just kind of a progression building up or talk to me like 2010 to 2017, that, that time frame? Um, so oh nine, I started working third shift and I worked third shift till about, 2014. Oh, uh huh. Um, so that was kind of always my hindrance on racing. Okay. It was hard to work Friday night, get off Saturday morning, and go race and be able to focus. I bet. Um, prior to being on day shift, I won my big, my first big money bracket race at 19. Mm -hmm. um, down at Edgewater, it was Ultimate 64 weekend. I won mm -hmm. one of the 10 grinders down there. Um, so most of those years after that was solely due to me being on night shift and not being able to ever be on the right schedule for a race day. Take me through that. So you're starting work Friday at what time? I would work, um, 
I'd work Monday night at 5 p.m. And then I'd get off work at 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I would do that five days a week. Right. So Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And so then, you're rolling back to the house at 6 o'clock Saturday morning and then trying to get ready to go racing, what, early Saturday afternoon, right? Yep, take a nap for a couple hours and then go to the track. Um, so that made it rough. Um, it worked out. Um, I never really had many championship runs at the local level until a couple of years ago. Um, basically just because I, I didn't have the focus. That's what it boils down to. Um, 2014, I started building my new car. Um, and I was still on nights then, and I was actually working two jobs. So I'd work all night, get off, go to another shop, and work for a couple hours. That's how I afforded to build a new car. Um, so that's that's what I did. When the new car was done, I told them I wanted to transfer to day shift, and I went to day shift. And then racing's been a lot better since then. I would imagine. I, I think that's pretty justifiable. <laughs> Take me through 2018 because from afar, it just looked dominant. I mean, you, I don't know how many races you won locally at Kilcarrot. It was obviously a bunch. I believe you were the track champion. Um, a, a handful of big dollar events sprinkled in there as well at, at various area tracks. Then on to the Division Three ET finals where you basically run the table, win the race of champions and the main event to earn a berth at Pomona. I feel like it had been several years of success leading up to that point. You know what I mean? Like that was just the, the, the pinnacle or the, the cherry on top season, but was a, I guess, was that year as dominant as it seemed from your perspective? And what was that like to just see it all come together in that fashion? So 2018 was, I mean, it was an incredible year. Um, I was actually going back through today, um, looking at stuff just to kind of like remember how good it was. Um, Mm -hmm. But we were in uh, 10 finals. We won eight finals out of 10. Right. Um, With one big money race in that. Uh, one ten grander up at Norwalk um, started in July, where the Jake Superquick rolled into town, um, and I had actually been fighting my shock at that point in time. I'd busted a seal and all the fluid had came out of it, and I had struggled and I had struggled, and finally I just pulled the shock off and sent it back to Afco, and had it fixed. So when I got it back, I got the um, bottom bar angle reset back up and got my right height to where I wanted it. And two weekends later, um, starting in July, it was a Saturday. I ended up winning that night, turned around the next day, um, won on Sunday as well. Um, came back around the next weekend, turned it a thou red in the finals um, to Jason Ford. And from there, it was just wake up on Saturday and it was like, we're going to the track and we're going to remain in business. Um, and, and that's basically how it went for a couple of months all the way up into, up into Indy. 
and take me through that like ET finals because I don't know I just assume like everybody's upbringing and racing is similar to mine but I came up I think similar in some ways to you in that Texas Raceway was our home track and it was literally an every Saturday night thing it had a huge crowd and simply making the roster to represent them at the at the ET finals was a big deal and that was the marquee event of the season and it just always had this atmosphere and it always had like a little bit deeper meaning for me, I guess, because just being a part of that team and watching it growing up was the ET finals, that kind of bucket list event for you. Did you set it on a similar pedestal? It was, um, I've told dad for years that, you know, one day I'm going to win the bracket finals. Like it's not, if it's not when, you know, it, it's going to happen. Um, and you, you know, you race all year to be able to go over there, make the team, like you said, and it's, it's a every Saturday thing, just chasing to get, get there. Um, so I was fortunate enough to, I think I won the points by like 18 or 20 some points, like 20 rounds. This is basically what it was. <laughs> wow. Right. Year. Um, so making the team was a big deal and going over there like you know everybody on the team is you know it's their big race of the year you know and i'm fortunate enough where i've had some success at some big dollar stuff along the way to where you know i don't think of it that way it's another day at the racetrack you know if you get yourself all hyped up and work you know worked up over it it, it usually doesn't end well true um, so I think me being able to always be comfortable in my helmet, being, you know, pretty even keel most of the time, that is really what the success from that weekend um, showed. Not, not necessarily getting bothered by anything. And what, I mean, I assume that's what it was, like 12, 13 consecutive rounds to win both sides of that between the race of champions and the main event? Uh, roughly around there. Yeah. yeah. What, um, how big of an accomplishment did it feel like winning the race of champions and how did it like, there's like a part of you that you obviously want to celebrate that because it's for most like a once in a lifetime thing. And then, you know, like there's still business to be done. Like you want to come back and, and the, the main race is the next day. Like, how do you, how do you kind of balance that in the moment? It was hard. It, it, it was my first year um, making it to Indy to be race of champion. Um, so going out there and, and winning it, I mean, everybody was excited. You know, we were all having fun. And then it, the sun goes down and everything's over with. And it's like, this weekend's not done. You know, the year I've had, like, I got to keep my eye on the prize. Um, so I didn't do anything wild or crazy and we just chilled and, and had fun and talked with friends and got up the next morning and, and went back to it. And obviously that completes the dream and you run through just this incredible ET finals performance that I would imagine somewhere along the way someone has duplicated that, but that's a really rare feat. You know what I mean? You may not be the only one, but you're one of very few, right, to win race of champions in the main event the same same weekend. 
I'm sure that that somebody out there's done it. I think last year you mentioned that Big Nasty's done it a time or two, maybe. Probably so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but to know that there's, you know, even if if Kyle has done it and he's one of the only ones to do it, to say that I have an accomplishment is the same as what he's done. Like that's basically like putting the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's you pretty know. elite company for sure. Correct. So obviously with with that ET Finals win, and again we're we're in twenty eighteen, you, you earn the right to represent division three in Pomona. And so I don't know exactly what the logistics are like. Obviously you got to practice once, we'll talk about doing it again in twenty nineteen, but you make that trip and it, it, it doesn't end well, right? It it's uh just like this heartbreak. I think we talked about it on the podcast. You're, if I remember right, you're a thou red to your opponents, like a second under or second over some ridiculous run that any shade of green probably beats in round one. Right. Yeah. So first round I run Jeremy Hancock. I believe that's who it was from down okay. in the Kentucky region. Uh, yeah. Down near Georgia. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Um, I'm one thou red. He is 36 red behind me. That's right. And he bails early, um, but he's holding like eight eight hundreds at this point in time because I made a time run with him the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything green wins that round, um, in my opinion. Yeah, but, more than likely, right? Hey, we all we all race better from the fence anyway. So, <laughs> well, and just we, I've got a little bit of background here because we we put together that hype video for you within this is bracket racing elite so in the process of that i talked to a lot of the people around you and it certainly sounds like you handled and compartmentalized that defeat like almost immediately better than 99 percent of us would do i mean that's obviously a rip your heart out type of moment but what was your kind of mindset shortly after i was i mean don't get me wrong. I was upset. I was aggravated. Sure. I knew I was set up tight, but I set up tight all the time. Like it's what I, I'm not going to lose on the tree if I have anything to do with it. That's how I always look at it. Um, I typically tell people live by the sword, die by the sword. Sometimes you're on the good side. Sometimes you're not. Um, but after the season I had had, Losing the the big one hurt, but knowing what we accomplished along the way made it a little bit easier to swallow. And when they all got back, you know, you could tell that everybody was kind of like tiptoeing on eggshells, you know, and at the same time, like how fortunate are we to be out here in California, in November, in shorts, having the opportunity to race for a national championship. Like, look around. This is now on my bucket list. I don't know when, but we'll come back. It's got to be positive. Stay positive and and execute, you know? It's it's incredible perspective. I'm glad that you can articulate it and put it into words like that because that's exactly the takeaway that I got talking with those around you. I'm curious, like, 
from an a mindset perspective or maybe a like a nerve perspective talk me through say like final round of a 10 grander at norwalk late rounds or final rounds of dt finals whether it's race of champions or the main event and that first round at pomona like is there is there any difference to you or what is the the, the, the atmosphere definitely changes. Do you feel that? To me, it, it's all the same. Like once, once I, the helmet like goes on and I'm buckled in, it's, it's all inside that car. Um, you know, me and the girlfriend joke, sorry, hold on. Water pump kicked on. <laughs> You're good. to go off at some point <laughs> you're good now i think i can hear you fine that is the absolute worst part of having a well gotcha wait till it's 2 a.m and and it kicks <laughs> on it'll uh it'll it'll put you on the seat that's for sure i bet there we go we're good now we're back okay okay sorry no i um I sensed that you would your answer would be something along those lines because that's just the impression of you that I get. It's sort of like unflappable, unfazed, like it's it's just another round. Do you have any tricks or tools to get to that place? Because I think it's very unique. Getting to that place is honestly, for me, it's been confidence. The more confidence I have in the car and myself the less the outside elements affect me. Um, so over the last couple of years, the better I've done, you know, the more time that I put into focusing on the task at hand is basically what's allowed me to get to that point. You may have just answered it, but what's the biggest catalyst for you for that confidence? I mean, obviously, to some extent, winning breeds winning, but what I'm taking is, like, there's some confidence in preparation. Yep. It's all about preparation, being ready for the task at hand, having a game plan in front of me. Um, so, like, when I buckle down and I sit in the car and I decide what I'm going to dial and put on it, you know, at that point, I'm talking myself through a run that, I'm potentially going to make. This is how I want to see the run. This is how the run should look. And if it doesn't look this way, then we go to plan B or plan C, depending on whether I need to go backwards or forwards. Um, but it, it's basically just having your mind ready for what's going to happen. Within the that uh, video that we put together for Elite, I honestly don't remember now if it made the, the final cut or not, but uh, in a brief interview with your mother, she shared a, a story from your junior dragster days. And if I remember correctly, the story was something to the effect of Mikey was sitting in his car, like in the pits, nobody around, 
and just kind of locked in laser focused, like visualizing a run. And I remember if it was a family friend or someone walked by and like waved or said something to you and you were just completely like oblivious, just locked into your thing. And your mother actually went over to, I think it was a woman and, and apologized. She's like, I, I'm sorry, you know, he, he, he didn't even acknowledge you. And the woman looked at your mom and said, if he can do that at whatever age you were, like nine, 10 years old, don't ever stop that. You know what I mean? Like that's a really unique skill set. And it just seems like that now, what, 20 years later is just kind of that same laser focus. And that's what's bred what you've become. Is, is that fair? Yep. That is, I mean, I still do it now. Um, I don't have a full size practice tree like at the garage, but my delay box does. Um, it's may not be perfect, but I can use the button on my steering wheel. I can still see, you know, the tree on it. Like I still sit in there and go through my routines. Um, when I was a kid in juniors, like at home, I was in that thing all the time. I'd ask dad if we could just fire it up and I could do whole shots in the driveway, you know, but it was just always being ready. You know, the more time that I have in the seat, the more comfortable I become. For sure. All right. So let's turn the page um, to 2019. Now you're coming off of this dream season. I would imagine that certainly the expectations of outsiders elevate. I would imagine to some extent your expectations of yourself go up too. Um, you're able to, to, to essentially back it all up. Like you, you win another track championship at Killcare. Once again, get the opportunity to, to represent in the race of champions. Uh, was, you, I know you said in 18, you won the track championship for like 18 or 20 rounds or something ridiculous. Was it, was it closer than 19? It was two rounds. Yeah. Um, I did not win a race at my local track this year. Um, I went a lot of rounds. Sure. I went deep a lot and never finished. I'd make a good run. The guy beside me would make a better run. Or I would be six take 11 and be a thou under. Or I would be triple zero red or one red. Um, I think that the races that fell my way the year before just didn't fall my way this year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we always joke around that it's always, you know, a little bit of luck when you pull into the lanes. Some days you have it, some days you don't. Um, but we kept striving week after week. We knew we would finally get something put together. Um, we just kept showing up every weekend and doing what we could do. And specifically this season, claiming that track championship and earning a berth in the race of champions, while that's always special right limited opportunities to do that in a lifetime this year it took on added significance as division three won the wild card drawing meaning that you knew coming in now both the winner of the main event and the winner of the race of champions would earn a birth to Pomona so you've essentially got two shots to make that return trip right yep uh when I seen that um the chip draw was for division three super pro um that was when I decided to flip back to racing at my local track. I'd planned on doing a bunch of super comp and super street. 
um, which I went to the first two divisionals with. And then I planned on filling that in with some big money stuff. Um, but once I seen the, what the chip draw was, and I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity. If I can make it happen to go, go to Indy with two possibilities of being able to go, like the odds don't get better than that. And it, you know, in my eyes, race of champions is a five or six round race versus a eight or nine round race. It's a lot easier to be good for four or five rounds than it is to be good for nine. Sure. No, and it's cool to hear you say that, you know, I mean, saying like, I'm going to go to Pomona and win the world championship, like that's a pretty lofty goal, but it sounds like real early on, you at least laid out a path as like, here's an opportunity to get there. So you come into Indy for, for year two, you're a year removed from running the table. You're a back-to-back track champion. Like what are your, what's your mindset coming into this year's ET finals? Focus, let go, don't do anything stupid, and execute. That was that was literally the game plan. Like keep it simple. Um, just do what I always do and, and see if it works out. And obviously in, in any race of champions competition, you're you're racing against the best of the best. Like maybe not always the the household names, but you're there's nobody that doesn't deserve to be there. So every round is a is a huge test. Highlighted in this case by the final. I mean you're racing Tommy Mattingly. I don't know how well you know Tommy, but that's a that's a young man that has won eight bunch of races and, and track championships at Ohio Valley. That's to me like a marquee matchup for the final. And if I remember correctly, that was a pretty good race in the race of champions final, no? Yeah. Um, I mean, if we turn it back to the semis, Tommy is three total in front of me. And I'm pretty sure that I'm six or seven total behind him. Oh, wow. So going into the finals, you know, there, there are some people talking. They're like, well, he was just three total. And it's like, I was seven total. You know, it, it's, it's not like I'm out of the field here. Right? <laughs> right. Right. It's not like I was just 20 and two over, you know we're both going up there and have the same, the same mentality, you know, we're both going to go up there and make decent runs and it's just going to see who makes the, decent, the, the better run that lap. Um, I think I'm 006 or 007. I think Tommy's 13 or 14 and we're both one over. Um, I go down his car. It really threw me for a loop with that little blower on it because it runs real hard up front, but he's only got less than four mile an hour on me at the, at the eight. Mm -hmm. So he ran up on me real quick. So I started plugging away on the jug with him to ride. And then I'm like, wait a minute, he's not moving anymore. Um, so I just dropped to set it one above and, and that's where it ended up and had electricity in my lane. So, the stage is set for a return trip to Pomona. Now, you've done this all before, so to some extent, it's 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 old hat. Um, tell me a little bit, because I would just assume I, I get the impression that you guys basically did the same thing each of the two years. But logistically, the trip from Dayton, Ohio, to Southern California is not the easiest thing in the world. I would have to assume. No, it's what, 2,200 miles, I think is what it is, um, going the southern route. Um, so 2018, we had um, D 
Dean and Amber McIlvain sewed her home. They were nice enough to let us borrow it. And Dean was even nice enough to help dad drive out. Um, but we had my car, uh, Brian Hendrickson's sportsman car, and then um, Jeremy Hicks, his uh, super pro bike. We had all those in the same trailer in 2018. And then this year, we were fortunate enough that uh, another local guy from Killcare won pro. Um, so I got hooked up with Joe and Dean and Amber let us use the toter home again. Uh, the Wheatcraft family stepped up and let us use their stacker so we could put both cars in there, um, split fuel costs and stuff like that. So logistically, it's a long drive. Um, 2018, <laughs> I flew there and flew back. So I, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have vacation time, so I was lucky that work um, – after I explained to him that it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, to go out there, they were like, well, we'll go ahead and work something out. And then I had to explain to him again in 2019 that it was the same situation. Yeah. How hard was that? So a year after that lifetime opportunity presents itself again. Yeah. My boss just looked at me and was like, I thought it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I said, I guess we're lucky enough to have it twice. I, I don't know what to say. No, to be honest, you know? for most people, it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, we made the – I actually, me and uh, my dad and girlfriend drove back out uh, this year. And while it's a long drive, it's not a bad drive in that big toter home. That thing drives like a freaking Cadillac. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, there's areas of that that are pretty desolate. I can speak from experience, but there's areas that it's a pretty cool drive, too, if you can yeah. kind of have the time to take it all in, right? Yep. So um, you return to Pomona, and kind of similar to what I said about the bracket finals, like this is, uh, this is familiar territory now in year two, but I would imagine with that comes like a little bit more pressure. You know what I mean? You're that you see you're so close to the goal and you realize that in life like you probably don't get 12 shots to do this you know what I mean so what was what was the mindset what were maybe some of the the nerves struggles fears um coming into Pomona round two honestly as I called it it was business as usual mm -hmm. you know I was already familiar I had data from the year before um, I knew what I had in the delay box last year, which it being a national event, the rollout's going to be the same. Um, so really having that data and being there the year before was just a confidence booster because I had something to go off of. Um, so, you know, rolling in the gate and going up for first time run, I had fourth out more in the box than what I was one red with last year because I knew that that was a good place to start. Sure. So... And beyond like the, the mechanical side of it, specific to that event, like I've never been a part of that, but I, I just know from watching and, and from national event competition in general, like that's a different atmosphere and it's a different schedule than any bracket racer is accustomed to. And I would imagine just from like an emotional standpoint, having been through that once, knowing what to expect you know knowing roughly like this is how things happen when things happen this is how it's this is how it feels like that's got to be a little bit of a feather in your cap and a confidence builder as well 
it, it definitely was. I mean, the first year you're there, like they don't call you over the PA and say, hey, box class to the lanes. You know, a guy rides around on a scooter and says, hey, it's time to go. You know, so it, it's completely different. Um, you know, you can go to the finish line and watch and have an idea of when they're going to call you up. But there, you don't. You're hanging out at the trailer more just waiting to see when the guy on the scooter comes by. So it, knowing that going forward, you know, as the rounds went on, knowing how it was going to work, it also allowed me to get into a routine like between rounds, mm-hmm. um, being able to get out of the car, immediately getting what I need to do done, um, fueling it up, you know, pulling the transmission off, getting the tire set, stuff like that. So it, it helped me build a, a routine that I was comfortable with. How, um, how different is it for you? Because I, I know that all of your typical uh, weekly racing is, is eighth mile. Obviously, the bracket finals were eighth mile. Like how often do you get a chance to compete on the, on the quarter mile? Uh, last year in Pomona was probably the first time in six years, <laughs> seven years that I ran a quarter mile. Right. Uh, I remember getting out of the car and looking at dad and being like, that was long. (laughs) Sure. You know, it's, it's only, you know, 7.6 seconds. It's less than three seconds longer than an eight mile run. But those three seconds seem like forever. You know, I can imagine me standing there and dad seeing the kid from Sandlot just going forever. So round one of uh, of this season's um, Super Pro runoff, we actually talked about this specific round on the podcast because it was the one that stood out to me. You paired with, there's no, let me preface this. I was going to say you paired with a tough draw, not that there's any good draws. You're, you're against, you're among the, the elite of the elite in the, the eight racers that have qualified for this event, which your opponent, I believe, was a Division Six runner. Uh, slower door car, Martin, Rochelle, or Rachel. I'm not 100% sure. Um, dialed 10, 12, and to your 760 range dragster. And to your point, like that's a difficult spot, eighth mile. That's like a 640 car, probably. But when you take it to the long track, what was a, what, 30, 35 mile an hour difference now becomes a 50 mile an hour difference, 45, 50 mile an hour difference. Like it, it's quarter mile to some extent is, is quote unquote easier to drive the finish line against a similar speed opponent, just because you're going past you cover ground quicker. But I would argue that on significant speed differences, it gets multiplied. Like it's, it's just more difficult. And I would just imagine, like you said, you've got data, you've got a great race car. So you're confident coming into this, but this is round one's, 24 hours from your last time trial, right? I would assume that there was a part of you that would have been a little bit more comfortable running a car down closer to 760. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always joke around with dad because whenever I roll into the lanes with the dragster, I will find the slowest door car that there is. <laughs> and when I roll up there in the Camaro, I will find the fastest car on the property every time. Without That's, fail. That's just how it works. And dad walks back and, you know, at our home track, it's whoever's beside you, you know, you count cars back and dad'll just come back and he'll just be laughing and he'll be like, I did it again. You know, (laughs) 
So when I drew that, like I knew that he was the only one with the door car, you know, and I got back to the table and dad's like, you did it again. I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware. (laughs) Um, So luckily doing the chip draw the day before uh, allowed me to research um, basically his statistics from his um, division race. Um, It taught me that he's going to be a dialer. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked at every run that he made at the divisional or his division bracket finals and seen all of his mile an hours were within like half a mile an hour. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to do a whole lot of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was warmer. The track was warmer. It was the hottest day at that point of the weekend. And I actually went over to Fletcher's and looked at the air data. Um, he was able to actually look back from the previous day to give me an idea of where it was time to time. And Fletcher basically said, if I was you, I would roll up there with the 63 on it, knowing you can get there and see how it plays. Um, and I went up there with a 62 on it, uh, 762. And as I seen him kept dialing up, dialing up numbers, I just went up with them um, and got lucky that we squeaked it by. You know? Yeah, because to your point, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at the, the numbers from the event. Every other competitor was either dialed in the sevens or Dave Mazier was dialed in the nines. That's a fast super gas car capable of running in the sevens. And to your point, you, you hook the one true 10 second car. And in that situation, that guy made a heck of a run, Mikey. I mean, he's, 12 on the tree, uh, one above with a two. So it's 24 total on the long track. He hadn't been on the track in 24 plus hours and he's 45 mile an hour slower than you. And uh, you, you MacGyver it and get under that. Uh, you run 10 dead on three taken. So what is that? 11. Right. Yeah. How, a, how big a sigh of relief was that? Because I would imagine like it'd be, devastating is not the right word, but it would be tough to go back to back years, get that birth in Pomona and, and, and go home after round one. And then was there a part of you right then that said that was the break that I needed? Yep. Uh, when I seen the wind light come on, obviously I didn't know what I knew I took the finish line and I thought that it was somewhere around a hundred, but I got on the brakes pretty stiff because it was like, I'm not getting there. I'm not getting there. Wait, I might get there. I might. Oh, I'm getting there. You know, and by that time it's get on the break. So I thought it was around a hundred. Um, but I, you know, I don't know what his run was like. I felt like I was two on my best time run and rolled eight in from that. and was like, I'm just going to set up 10. We'll see how it plays out. Being a little more cautious. Mm-hmm which isn't necessarily me, but it is long track. So there is a little bit right. more forgiving on the long track with the cars being the variable. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing that wind light first round was a huge sigh of relief. And from there, I knew that none of the spots were going to be huge. It was all going to be close. Um, I had data from that day. I knew we were going to be making our runs pretty quick um so i i knew the car wasn't gonna move any from where it was already at 
Um, it was going to stay pretty close to that 761 that it went uh, in time runs on Saturday, the day before. And take me through then the semifinal with Jay Allen, final round with uh, with Dave Mazier that aforementioned. Um, anything that stood out from those rounds other than obviously seeing that final round win light and realizing that you've achieved a lifelong goal? Uh, the, the semifinal round, Jay had me, I think, sixth out on the starting line. I think I, he was eight. I was 14. Um, I got lucky, and his car slowed up, you know. Um, he was – wide open to be two or three above. And I was able to go down and kill a little bit to go one above beside him. Um, but he had me up front, but as you know, I had thought the equipment underneath of me was going to be able to um, repeat and do what it usually does. So, and it looked, looking at the data, it should have been going probably dead on with a, a one that on with a two, which is basically what I thought going into that round. Um, so that's reassuring. Yeah. Yep. So now I had two runs where it basically had settled right where I thought it was going to be from the get-go. So going up for the finals, I was very confident in my equipment. Um, and then rolling up in the finals with uh, Dave. Um, once he went red, I, I had a party for – I don't even know if it really ever stopped until we got on the plane. You know? <laughs> and who could blame you, right? Yeah. Um, he went red. I let go and I knew I had missed it. I knew that it was my worst hit at the tree. So I had immediately covered the bump down knowing that there was a little bit of a spot to see if he went red or not. Um, with I had all intentions of knocking roughly around six out. Because mm -hmm. I thought that that would put me high double O bottom team. Um, and then once I seen him go red, I didn't even cover the bump anymore. We just. It was pretty good recognition. I think you were 18 in the final, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then uh, I hopped on the jug. I gave it two or three little ones down through there just because I could, I guess. <laughs> uh, Why wouldn't you at that point, right? Yeah. As long as I didn't go faster than 750, I don't think it really mattered. Looking back, the the experience of being out there in 2018, I guess kind of a two-part, how did it prepare you for success in 19? And then how much sweeter did it make actually leaving there as the world champion? So being there in 2018, um, basically it allowed me to be a little more prepared for what to expect. Um, I knew I could use my usual routine. Um, nothing's changed. Um, going back quarter mile racing, that was honestly why I went and decided to go make some laps super comp and super street because at least it was the long track. Um, although it's different in its own way, it was still quarter mile racing. Um, so it really just gave me an idea of what to expect. Um, knowing that if you look up and you can't see the mountains because of the small, that it's going to be slow, you know, knowing stuff like that. Um, I feel like it was kind of like my rabbit's foot. Um, 
and and leaving there after winning that final round is the world champion. I mean, there's you can't put it into words. Um, it it's awesome, you know. You fill out your contingency and and you get back up beside the track, you know. And they're coming down and doing interviews with the winners. You know, it's an incredible experience. Like you can't even explain it to friends, you know, that weren't there. Um, you know, to get back up there, my parents down there, you know, they're all excited and happy and dad can't hardly talk and neither can mom, you know, it's emotional. Like it, it tugs on every heartstring that there ever was. No doubt about it. And I'm not an emotional person, but that one, stuff like that'll get you. No, I, I, like I say, I've never been a part of that race, but have watched it from the stands. And it is, it's a, it's such a unique atmosphere. I think it's, it's difficult to explain the emotion. I think it's difficult to explain the pressure associated with it. Like it is a very unique race on a, on a huge stage and everything that comes along with it, specifically for you, like having been through it once and, and knowing what it's like to come up just short and how difficult that is. Like, I imagine that that moment had to be extra special. Um, I'll switch gears just a little bit with uh, another, another two-part question. I'm good at those. I don't think I'm supposed to ask two-part questions, but you're really good at answering them. So I appreciate you like compartmentalizing them for me. Um, I'll turn the switch gears just a little bit to um, this is bracket racing and this is bracket racing elite because you've been involved in our site for really since like the inception, right? To some extent, it seems like you were one of the early members on the original This Is Bracket Racing. And then specifically as it, as it evolved into This Is Bracket Racing Elite, finally getting into my two-part question, but what prompted you to, to join initially? And then like fast forward to now, like you're at the peak of the mountain, right? It's not like, I don't know that it gets any better. So what, why would you, why continue to stay? within the group so when I first joined it was it was mostly at that point I was focused on what I wanted to accomplish like I love racing with a passion I don't know what I would do if I didn't race you know it's always been a part of my life um so when it first started up you know to me there's always two ways to skin a cat you know the way somebody looks at something and the way that I look at something can be done multiple ways sure so whenever there's an opportunity to pick somebody else's brain or um you know kind of read what they have to say like I'm willing to learn um and then going into elite, um, once I decided that I could financially s support doing it and be okay, it was taking it to the next level. Um, let's be honest, the sport never stops evolving. Um, sometimes I think our race cars are better than the timing equipment <laughs> because of how much the sport's grown mm -hmm. and how much easier it is to build said cars or parts than it was 10 years ago. Um, the technology just came so far. Um, 
so for me it's it's refining the little things within elite um you know the the routines the um options you know for for strategies um that was really the big seller for me and it's you know learning it from some of the best um bracket racers that there are yeah and i agree like that's that's the the point of the site and and just evolution as a racer in general is that that growth that you just talked about is perpetual you know i mean regardless of what you've achieved or what level you're at like we can all get better and and that's that's what we try to do within the group what um as you prepare now for uh 2020 like i don't know how you back up what you just accomplished but i don't know I, I think i'd have said the same thing a year ago like how do you back up 2018 and you almost one-upped it in a lot of ways right um so what's next what are the, what are the plans for 2020 and, and going forward oh uh, i think i might dabble in some super comp and super street again um dad's already put some ideas together about going to some big money races um the biggest Happy Gilmore check I have is for 10K, and, and I would like one bigger than that. So that is the new bucket list is a Happy Gilmore bigger than 10K. Well, 2020 looks like the year for it. You got plenty of opportunities. It's a matter of where you want to go, right? That's basically it. Good stuff, man. Um, as always, uh, like appreciate your time. Appreciate your insights. Like I love the the time that you take and the thoughtfulness in in walking back through this like it it i think it's a like a, a vision into how you think and how you approach things like everything just seems measured well thought out like it, it comes through just in the way that you speak and uh, and i think it's like an insight to your approach in general uh, appreciate you spending some time with us here on the podcast and I don't know um, how often you listen to the show, but you may be somewhat prepared for this. Like we can't let you off the hook too easy. So we've got some uh, some rapid fire, some not necessarily racing related little fun questions. So you up for some of that? Sure. Too All right. <laughs> Mikey Sturgill, what is on your perfect pizza? How are we going to top it? Anything but mushrooms and anchovies. All right. I'm down with that most embarrassing racing moment i'm gonna say if i had to go with this i, I was just asked this when i did my drag champ deal okay last week and i wasn't fully prepared and ready for that <laughs> okay i'm glad that i'm glad gary don teed you up a little bit so you had a week to think about it yeah um you know i think in there i wrote um you know nothing that comes to mind other than we've all been dropped on our heads a time or two you know, that's embarrassing as it is. But the first time I tried to drive the finish line in a junior dragster, uh, I think I was going somewhere in the 11s and had a nine-second car chasing me. And I got to the 330 cone and didn't see him, and we dropped anchor then. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm eight years old at this time, and Dad's trying to explain it to me. You know, I could have swore. He said when I got to that first cone, you know, if they weren't there, that was the first cone that I thought about. <laughs> There's a cone. They're not there. <laughs> yep. We put it in park at 331 feet. 
<laughs> who uh who is your favorite cartoon character and why my favorite cartoon character oh oh that's that's a toughie See the questions you you just can't be prepared for. That's what yeah, we're all about. Not even not even close. If if I had to go with it, I guess it's Roadrunner. All right. Yeah. Just because he's quick and speedy and always thinking on his toes. I like it. If uh, if you could spend a full day with anyone, who would it be? Does that just have to be one person? I guess you could go with a group. You make the rules, Mikey. We're good. 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 I'd, I'd spend it with my family. Nice. What, um, what is the perfect race car in your mind? I have it. Sold. Done. It's underneath me every, every Saturday. Along those lines, I'll, uh, I'll let you use this as a, as a platform. Tell us a little bit about your car and, uh, and the people that help you out to make it what it is. Uh, the car, it is a 2015 McIlvain chassis, um, nicknamed Bruiser. It's black and blue. Um, as Jake Hodge always says, it bruises the competition. I don't. <laughs> uh, I think that started in Muncie a couple years ago. Um, it's a run-of-the-mill big block, nothing fancy. Um, shelf parts, bolt-on cylinder heads, bolt-on everything. Um, for people that help me, four seventies. It, it'll go. It's been four seventy two, one forty seven, one forty six, and some change. Um, I don't ever see the reason to run it that hard, so I usually have a little timing out of it and bigger tires and little extra oil and just I like the low maintenance no reason to kill it when you know we put a dial in on the car um so it's it's what's the happiest some of these tracks we go to aren't always the best um and my car is not super aggressive up front anyways um but it's a good spot because there's not many cars faster than me locally there's plenty of cars slower than me, so slowing it up a little bit to help with that spot's not as bad. Um, for people that help me, obviously my parents. Um, without mom and dad, I probably wouldn't be racing because if they didn't race or mom didn't let dad race, however it worked out, um, I probably wouldn't be racing today. Um, Chelsea, my girlfriend, uh, there's times where I'm in the garage if I'm not at the racetrack during race season so that makes it makes it hard on a relationship spending all the time in the garage but she's willing to sit there in the garage and clean the car while I'm working on it or if there's something she can help me do while I'm working on it she's not afraid to get her hands dirty so all of that stuff is much appreciated um Companies that helped me, obviously, uh, the group at McIlvain Race Cars, um, Performance Clinic Race Engines, RB Designs, Osier Engineering, uh, Profiler, the group at Mazir, uh, Southland Flooring Supplies, um, group at FTI. Um, they helped me out quite a bit, too. Um, 
group at Caged Insanity, uh, the Wheatcraft family. Um, they allowed us to have the stack for the last two years, so I can't be more thankful for them. Sure. Um, mostly, other than that, it's the rest of my family and friends, you know, without family and friends, who are we? For sure. Well put. Good stuff, man. A lot of, uh, a lot of great people behind uh, an incredible combination and, uh, you know, obviously a huge part of your success. But uh, again, man, thank you for coming on, sharing your story. Really enjoyed it. I think our listeners will say the same. Uh, congratulations on an incredible season and what is quickly becoming uh, an incredible body of work as a whole. Um, congratulations, man, and uh, just super happy for you to uh, to see you continue to experience this level of success and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me on. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. The Texas Motorplex will be the place to be. From March 11th through the 15th, Cody Pollage and CP Promotions will bring the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com to Ennis, Texas. Box racers will run for $50,000 on Saturday, surrounded by $10,000 to win races on Thursday. Friday and Sunday. No box racers will run for $7,500 to win Saturday, surrounded by five granders. Complete weekend entries provide the best bargain at $650 for box, $400 for no box, respectively. There will be racer appreciation dinners. There will be a cool last chance lotto. First and second round losers can purchase a chance for $10 to be drawn and put back into round three each day. Check it out on the CP Promotions Facebook page or in one of our posts on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.